Welcome to Odd Trilogies with Logan and Andy. I'm Logan Sowash. And I'm Andy Carr. And on Odd Trilogies, we tackle a trio of films, whether tied by cast and crew, thematic elements, or even numerical order. And we go through each film and discuss the good, the bad, and the weird surrounding them. Ugh, again. Once again. With <laughs> Once the, again. The intro yawn. I know. It's, it's not that I'm not interested in what we're talking about today. I'm actually very excited to talk about it, but it's just... I just woke up early, yeah. and my body is still getting used to it. I got coffee, though. We're good. We'll go. make sure we get it through. Because today is a trilogy that both Andy and I have wanted to do for years, mm-hmm. and we've kind of put it off, not because we could have done it any other time. We technically could have, but we thought it'd be perfect for kind of a Valentine's Day tie-in. Yeah. And, you know, Madam Webb's trilogy's not over yet. <laughs> it's just beginning. We can't, yeah. <laughs> so we can't do that. So instead, for Valentine's Day and just, you know, the season of love, we are tackling today Wong Kar Wai's Love Trilogy, who, if you don't know, Wong Kar Wai is a critically acclaimed Chinese director. He has at least, I think about, he's, he's about seven or eight, maybe ten films under his belt. Uh, yeah, I think it's his, ten or twelve, maybe. His first film, I believe, is 1988, but mm-hmm. the films we are talking about today are 1990s Days of Being Wild, 2000s In the Mood for Love. In 2004's 2046, or it looks like 2046. Yeah. We'll talk about that when we get to it. But If if his name sounds familiar, it's probably because you've heard about In the Mood for Love and or maybe Chungking Express. Yes, uh, Chungking Express for sure. One of his most famous films. Which thankfully, even though uh, Warner Brothers Discovery is in a spot that all of us are wondering day by day how it goes, as of (laughs) right now, as of recording... On Max, you can watch In the Mood for Love and Shunking Express, as well as other Wong Kar Wai films. Yes. So if you love what you listen to here, we highly recommend you checking out his other works, because pretty much, I don't know if, as what I've seen, he has a bad film, per se. Mm -hmm. Definitely weak ones compared to his better ones, but arguably with these three films, you kind of see how... You know, at a certain point, what you consider his weaker films is definitely by preference, but also because yeah. there are some trends that are kind of that replay <laughs> right, as right. his uh, filmography goes on. Well, and he's also, you know, you, you can watch these films and see the stamp that he's kind of left yes. on just the film medium as an art form. His, I mean, um, it, you know, the, the look of his films and the way he tells his stories is... yeah pretty singular but is also something that you see kind of reverberate into even like american movies oh for after sure this i mean again a great example of that especially modern examples is if you've seen everything everywhere all at once or oh, past yeah. lives yeah like in everything everywhere all at once there's a whole section in that film where it's not outright like an homage or a parody to Wong Kar Wai, but it very much feels like okay well, the, clearly yeah. The scene where this is a surprise. The timeline where uh, she becomes a she movie becomes star, famous, and she's like yeah. talking to to um, Waymond. Waymond in the in the alley is like in the mood for love, basically straight yeah. out of it. <laughs> Energy wise, for sure. Yeah, and, and kind then of the color palette too. And then past lives as a film, if you haven't seen it, again, it's one of my favorite films of last year. Highly recommend. Very much, especially after watching this trilogy absolutely feels like the closest an American filmmaker has got into capturing kind of that Wong Kar Wai essence without it feeling like a pastiche. Yeah. And yeah, it shows, it just shows how much, you know, he's reverberated through filmmaking in general, not just in Chinese filmmaking. Mm-hmm. And ultimately with this trilogy, you know, in the season of love, we thought it was be interesting since we've already done Richard Linklater's before trilogy, which is right. 
kind of the our easy choice for an odd trio that you know ties into love we thought perfect let's go international we've always wanted to talk about Wong Kar Wai mm-hmm. it's kind of our one of our you know international cinema is a little bit of our you know blind spots here and there sure and especially well, I mean, Chinese cinema you know we'd both wanted to watch some of his films yes and this was an excuse to do so not that we needed an excuse but, no 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 but um, it's it's, it's but fun it was when, a good reason to dive in yeah it's fun when hobbies and you know passions align in a way where it's just like yeah. oh yeah i'll totally choose that and it'll just like <laughs> two birds with one stone are the best way right and so yeah so we both kind of went into this blind because neither one of us had seen any of these films no i'd never seen any of his movies yeah. and you even watched an extra film I which did. i wanted to do but it, to be honest in terms of timeline it was just like no nah, i gotta yeah only have the time to get the three in but you also watched chunking express yeah which ended up being my favorite of, <laughs> of his movies that i've watched which so. surprised <laughs> me but also made me happy to see that like even though you were probably you were disappointed i think with you know the latter half Some of, of these, this trilogy, yeah, yeah. Because you really like Chun King Express. I'm just glad that like you just like are now the Chun King Express defender. <laughs> if it <laughs> even needs that, I don't think that movie needs any. No, defense. I don't think people it does. love that movie. No, yeah, but it's it was it was great to see the fact that it's like even when you feel like the trilogy has let you down in some way, it's shape, like, or well, form, I got something great out of it. Something yeah. great out of it. It honestly made me want to watch all of his other films. Yeah, no, I definitely have. I I just from flipping through our the set, I think. We both own the Criterion set. Which yeah, is the how world we, of Wong Kar Wai. Yeah, which is how we watched these, and um, which I believe uh, have I've f- added a couple of those to my watch list. Yes, after this, because I think it I really has watch Fallen Angels. Now. The majority of his filmography. Yeah, I think it's it, it's like it starts with as tears go by, right? Yes, uh, which I, believe I think it goes it's... up through twenty forty six. So that's like. The majority, seventy-five percent of his films. I think his quote-unquote peak. Yeah, if anything, like kind of golden age or whatever. Yeah, and what a golden age! Because <laughs> going into Days of Being Wild, it's you know again, even though we neither one of us had seen any of his films going into this first film, this film immediately, at least for me, went okay. This feels like everything I've heard about him in passing. Now I un- I it makes sense, and this is kind of what I felt like this film was going to feel like. <laughs> yeah, and- well, it's it's worth noting up front that um, we're calling this the love trilogy, but that's kind of just been a a um, informal term applied to yes. these three movies yes. by historians and critics for ever, years, ever since they came out, just because of their thematic count. There, there's not. We'll get into this later. They're not yes. exactly related, like plot-wise. There are so there is some carryover, especially between the latter two. But it, um, the, the there's these are more kind of standalone movies connected by thematic elements. Mm-hmm. And there's there's technically a connective tissue that is not just thematic, but it's yeah. character-wise uh, ties all three of these films. But at the same time character in that regard can be very loosely applied to at least this film yeah because uh, yeah another reason why it's informal is because of the fact that you have some of the same actors kind of crossing over in certain films that are technically playing the same characters in a way yeah but it's never played in a way where it's again when you think of references to be like past films most people would probably think of like a wink to the camera or just something where it's like a Hitchcock like walking into frame that kind of like yeah. you know cheesy little cheeky nod but in all honesty it's 
it's pretty just matter of a fact and is yeah it's kind of treated as like hey if you know you know yeah it's kind of more like these movies were all set in the same version of the world like the the same world and all these characters just kind of exist in the same space they don't all necessarily have anything to do with each other but some of them do some Mm -hmm. of them float in and out of each other's lives but yeah it's kind of and of course Wong Kar Wai has other movies that deal with the complexities and trials of love and all that but these three do have that kind of thread of some characters coming through throughout all of them yeah um, and or at least two of them yeah yeah and to start off with days of being wild it is again watching this film you would think where where would we go from here in terms of narrative because to be honest in days of being wild it sets a template of a romance film that is about desire heartbreak you know the love in general in terms of you know as a physical sense as well as an emotional sense as well as you know, how it affects us as people. But ultimately, when you go into the next film, it's not like, all right, we're going to take that homework from the first film and bring it back. It's just thematically (laughs) discussing some of the same topics from film to film as well as adding new ones, but in different lights. Yeah. And with Days, it is, as I mean, this is going to sound silly that it's like, you know, this is really the plot. It is a bunch of beautiful (laughs) 20-somethings in 1950s Hong Kong basically you know either hanging out with each other having sex with one another falling in love with one another breaking their hearts right and ultimately like the little plot you do get is just very tertiary in all honesty compared to the you know what the thematic elements are trying to do yeah and convey to yeah. the audience it's, and it's a almost this one especially although i think all all three have this quality about them but i think days of being wild is the most overtly just kind of a series of loosely connected vignettes. Um, It's like characters who know each other and are friends or lovers or whatever, but the film kind of just shifts from one kind of grouping to the other. It's also probably the most Um, dreamlike of the three films. Yeah. Because it really is. Because, I mean, each each film... 246 gets pretty pretty dreamlike. But even then, I think that that dreamlike kind of feeling to 2046 is like i would say one of the one of the faults of that sure, film sure because that is that is a film where with 2046 it is like there's there should be a lot that is like keeping it from being a good film and ultimately it's still really good i enjoy 2046 but it is just like okay let's let's go back to the love stuff i think that might be the most important <laughs> right now and with Days, it is now looking back after seeing all three films, there is an endearing quality to how Days is just interested in following the yeah. day-to-day life and have like the dream logic of being like, you have no idea what day it is. Mm-hmm. Genuinely, you have no idea where you are. You assume it's Hong Kong. Yeah, but, but there's they like really, no geography yeah, to this they, film. They don't, yeah. I think they talk about it once when the cop, who is a small character in the first half of the film, and then returns at returns the yeah. finale... But, like, he talks about where he's going, like, at one point. I think he goes yeah. to, not Cambodia, but uh, he, he basically is like, yeah, I'm leaving the city. Mm-hmm. And then he says where he goes, and then, of course, he pops up there. And it's like, oh, I guess that's where we are. Yeah. So, like, it's one of those things where it's like, to be honest, when we were, right before we started the pod uh, episode, I just double-checked to be like, it is Hong Kong, right? <laughs> and it's like, yeah, apparently Wikipedia says it is 1950s Hong Kong. But you know it's the 50s because... 
God. Sixties. It's it, no in the mood for love in two hundred four six or the sixties. Because again, Days of Being Wild is like twenty somethings dealing with love, while in the mood for love is like thirty <laughs> somethings dealing with love in a different uh-huh. situation. Then twenty forty six is almost like. Well, you're you're getting closer to your forties if you're not already forty. What is love to you right now? Yeah. <laughs> and with days, it is there's there's this vibe of like you you don't fully um, you know engage with the characters because they're pretty they're 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 pretty loose in terms of like how they are as people and like the little things that you do learn about them are like okay yeah that's interesting well, it's a very... whatever I mean. It's a very observant film. Yes. More so than like a, I'm going to immerse you in this person's life and psyche. It's more like I'm going to sit you in the room with these people Mm -hmm. and like you're just going to kind of observe the things they say to to each other and the things they do for each other or do to each other. Um, And it's, uh, dreamlike is a good way of putting it. It's almost like these the whole thing takes place in like some sort of liminal space where it's constantly rainy and dreary outside mm-hmm. and everyone's a little bit sad or upset about something. Um, yeah. And it's, uh, it's also the type of, you know, energy where it's, if someone goes, well, you know, this guy's like this and you're not going to be like, I don't know that. Right. You're just gonna be like, Oh, okay. I guess we do know that. Yeah. And like a dream, you're just going to accept the fact that yeah. it's giving you this information and it's not going to hopefully be a lie. <laughs> And yeah, I mean, it really is just every character kind of has its own, you know, idea of love that Wong Kar Wai is putting onto the screen and is trying to see, like, convey that to the audience and see if it kind of resonates with them. And yeah, I mean, I mean, there's like, to me, it feels like the 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 like, what's the word? Mission of this movie is to like portray kind of the stupid shit we're like willing to put ourselves through in pursuit of love. Yes. Cause like yeah. none of the loving, like the romantic relationships or anything are like, especially great or healthy. No, or, no. Yeah. Or, you know, idyllic or anything. It's a lot of like, I mean, Yeti, the main character, uh, he, he's a piece of shit. He's an asshole. Um, he's, he, and he treats every yeah. woman in his life like garbage. Um, he's an incredibly charismatic playboy who ultimately is revealed to the audience in many different ways. I think if anything, his quote unquote arc is the slowest to reveal to the audience, but you can kind of guess early on. It's like, he is a man who was hurt by a family member to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. Basically he's, he was adopted by a prostitute who calls herself his auntie and then revealed in like the last year or so, it's kind of revealed in dialogue that like, she told him, "Hey, I'm not your actual mother. Like your parents, like adopt, like gave me to you to take care of you." Yeah. And ultimately, finding out that, like you know, his parents didn't love him enough to keep him leads him to basically in all of his l- relationships, whether it's just platonic or it's romantic or sexual. There's an energy of emptiness that he has no interest of trying to fill more so like for a long period of time more so just you know short bursts yeah well he's, it's like filling a hole in your heart with junk food he's, yeah he's not like looking for an actual resolution he's not looking to work on himself no he's just kind of angry about this void that he's feeling because of learning about his past 
And so he's like, I'm just going to, like, tear through women. <laughs> yeah, because basically, yeah, Tuddy's whole thing is that the first woman you see him hit on and kind of fall for, quote-unquote, is Mackie Chung's uh, Suli Jen. Yeah. Who, again, he has a moment that is, like, definitely like a damn. He's pulling this out of his ass, and it's working <laughs> well of just, like, this whole minute is just ours, you know? You're right. And yeah. you'll always look back at this minute, and you'll know that this minute has always been ours the entire time, and nothing can ever take that, that from is, you. It's and like, it's you like, know he's, like, workshopped shit. that. It, but it, <laughs> like it's so it's so smooth that he it plays is. it off as, like, I just came up with that. Yeah. And it's like, I if you did, I fucking hate you. Yeah. <laughs> that works so well in this, but, like, he ultimately breaks her heart. And Maggie Chung's kind of whole thing as a character is basically accepting the fact that, like, in reality, she didn't do anything wrong. Mm-hmm. Like, she just basically, she she fell for an asshole. Yeah. But, like, she fell hard. Right. And is trying to recover from that and doesn't know how to recover. And ultimately, the woman that Tuddy does kind of fall f- or, like, land with for the longest time in the film, her name is Lulu, who's actually Tony Lung's wife in real life. Oh. They actually got married after 2046, I think, in 2008, around that yeah. time. But um, Lulu is basically introducing the plot when Tuddy beats the shit out of a young guy for beating the shit out of his aunt and then after he beats the shit out of this guy goes hey you want to go somewhere and she just <laughs> fucking goes to his place <laughs> like, yeah he just has he is given you know one car is basically pushing this man is like this man exudes charisma and even when you're a little off put by that charisma you still are just entranced by it yeah and the guy I mean the the actor and I'm not going to know most of these Chinese actors and actresses' names off the top of my head because I do not want to butcher them immediately. So I've led Andy to figure that out for <laughs> me. But the actor who plays Tuddy is is fantastic. I think he is... Leslie Chung. Leslie Cho? Chung. Chung. I mean, I Wait, think... Who was, I think, a, he's a pop star, like a musician. Of course he at is. At the time. Cause, yeah, because that's, I mean, that's a big thing, too, if you watching Days of Being Wild that I didn't realize until afterwards. But, like, this film was basically an indie film with some of the biggest pop stars of the time, the biggest actors of the time. Andy Lau was big and still is. Maggie Chung was big and still is. Tony Lung at this point had already been in like a few John Woo films, I'm pretty sure. He was in Hard Boiled at this point. He's basically a cameo in this. Oh, God, um, we'll get to that. (laughs) But yeah, like you basically you have some of the hottest, sexiest Chinese actors and singers in this film and... Ultimately, with the film, in terms of financially, it does as well as any Wong Kar Wai film will do from this point forward. <laughs> but for like the company that produced the film, they were like, that's not enough. Yeah. So while the fact that this film does end on hilariously a no-name Tony Lung just being the sexiest man in all of the world at this moment in time and being like, oh, I can't wait to get his film. Yeah. He, it never happened. Right. The, the, the true sequel to Days of Being Wild initially... You know, what the ideas they had for Tony Lung being like the new Tutty of the, uh, is it Yeti or Tutty? Yeti. Yeti. The new yeah. Yeti of kind of the series ultimately falls through. Yeah. Which, I mean, to a certain point, is a good thing because we get in the mood to love. Right. Because right. of it. But ultimately, this is, yeah, a a film where it's like the closest, you know, resonant re- romantic relationship we have is built upon a foundation of violence not against each other but just like yeah. watching a man beat the shit out of another man and being kind of like this guy's kind of hot <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and then like that's ultimately what leads to you know lulu's whole thing just kind of being like falling in love hard as well but also being very stubborn yeah. and knowing what she wants but also realizing that what she wants is probably not good enough for herself 
Right. But she's ultimately going to go for it anyway. Yeah. Well, and then, the, the interesting, like, contrast with, <coughs> like, the Lulu uh, situation is, like, they're both more... So, Yeti and uh, uh, Maggie Chung's character, Sue Li Jen, yeah. um, they were a contrast of, like, Yeti's very angry at the world and very, like, volatile mm-hmm. and... Uh, Su Li Jin was more, um, you know, kind of reserved and like kind of almost taken aback or mystified by his charisma and his energy. Mm-hmm. And like, it's almost like she kind of, she wanted, she wanted to tap into that or wanted a piece of that uh, in, in a sense. It's, and I don't, that's what she was like drawn to. But then yeah, I don't, Lulu is like a ball of energy all yes, her own. I, I will say there's, I don't know how you, I say this without putting a shiver down my spine. <laughs> But Suli Zhen has virginal energy, yeah, especially compared yeah. to Yeti. Right. So when you get to Lulu, and Lulu, I think, is working at like a kind of a cabaret uh-huh. club. Uh-huh. So she's, and she very much has the energy of like, I have so many men on my back, right. Bernard, why the fuck would I want to be with you? Yeah. That like, it is a vastly different dynamic. So when like the love triangle angle kind of gets brought up, but is non existent, but it's all the characters kind of being self conscious about the yeah. triangle. Uh, specifically Lulu and Suli Jen, you get this. You get these moments of trying to figure out, well, what do they see in her, or what does she see in him, yada mm-hmm. yada, and leads to some really good moments where I think show again how love affects one another, but also how it's like, you know, how love can show up in many different ways in many different relationships, and how the because yeah. it, it'd be much more boring if it was like Lulu was just another Suli Jen. Right. And it's like it's yeah. not that it's the it's almost like the polar it's a totally opposite. different experience yeah yeah and i think you know something that this movie accomplishes really well is kind of just like displaying all the different like awkward messes of like being in love or trying to to be in love trying to maintain a relationship when you're like haven't really figured yourself out yet oh my god haven't figured out who you are and what you want because none of these characters like really have any idea what they want or need from a relationship or it's also the idea of like i have to figure myself out by this certain point in time (laughs) if not i'm a lost cause yeah and it's like all these 20 somethings have this idea of what being an adult at this certain point in their life is and none of them are anywhere close to these high expectations they've given yeah. themselves, these yeah. unnecessary expectations. Because there's also the element of, I believe is his name, Zeb. It's uh, yeah. Yeti's best friend yeah. who ultimately is clearly, you know, wants to be Yeti and is very, um, mm-hmm. looks up to Yeti. And then ultimately when Yeti makes a big point in the film to leave the country to go try and find his birth parents, he gives his friend his car and what Zeb believes yeah. is like his almost like his swagger to a degree. <laughs> it's because like I have a car, I'm Yeti's friend, I can be just like Yeti. And ultimately when he tries to make a move on Lulu, oh big surprise, <laughs> you're not that guy. Right. And you really shouldn't be. And ultimately it leads to him being like, Listen, like I apologize for pretending to be him. I basically sold his car. <laughs> yeah, right. And just realized, you know, I I can never be him, and maybe I shouldn't be. Yeah. It's it's just kind of a lost cause situation. And that's, I mean, to a degree, especially in terms of, you know, at the time. Because this is also, like, 1990s right before, especially in American cinema, the boom of, like, Gen X, like, nihilism. Yeah. Or, like, that feeling of, like, 
uh, what is what do I have to do with my? Do I have to be part of the capitalist system? Who yeah, I gotta or, be before I'm yeah. thirty? Kind of gonna... that like Gen X burnout. Yes. Sort of wave. Yeah. God, if this if this film is to China what like Clerks is to us, <laughs> that. That just shows the Maybe. vastly different. Yeah. yeah. But, it, I mean, it is. It has that energy of just, like, you, the the answer of, like, what what is love to you is so vastly different from these four leads. Actually, five leads, to a degree. Yeah. These five characters. Because, again, one of the coolest parts about this film that doesn't really happen in the other two films is that the fact that, like, the film is a little under two hours, and the way that it kind of keeps the momentum going in the streamlike structure is basically mm-hmm. the... The film decides we're following this person, and then it'll yeah. follow that person for like a good ten, fifteen, <laughs> and then it'll maybe go back to Yeti for a little bit, and then a new person, or maybe go back to Suli Jen. Yeah, and like it just it hops from protagonist to protagonist so frequently that it's like it keeps it interesting because you're curious as to like what is the end game for a lot of these characters narratively. Yeah, and in a very realistic fashion, and which I think is very intentional, a lot of these characters' ending is just. And they continue. It is ultimately uh-huh. like most of the characters ultimately just move on with their lives and they continue in a real- realistic fashion while the yeah. the two that don't either meet, you know, have have a tragic end or ultimately <laughs> are constantly searching for the thing that they'll never find. Right. Which again, yes, sounds very sad. And don't worry, there are much sadder things that we will talk about <laughs> in this trilogy where it's like, really, this is the love, this is love trilogy? It's yeah. like, yep, yeah, it... Again, this is, to me, this doesn't feel like the type of trilogy of romance films where it feels like this is a movie telling you, like, oh, romance is bad. You shouldn't feel it. No, it's, it feels more like a man who is basically saying, like, romance sucks, but it's also phenomenal because he makes it feel like this. Yeah, well, it's kind of like. you should kind of embrace it as best as you can when you have it. Yeah, I mean, especially you get more of that towards, like, uh, in the mood for the oh absolutely two four six yes um but yeah the, i mean the whole trilogy is almost more like it's like uh kind of hanging out in or or weighing the like baggage of love the the pain yes. that mm-hmm. that love can bring but also kind of at the end of the day being like but if not love then what like what do we have if yeah not that? so it's like yeah this sucks yeah it's awkward it's painful a lot of times it doesn't work out time is a bitch that mm-hmm. always gets in the way but like if that's not what we're chasing then what what are we chasing <laughs> yeah there's a, there's a great story in days of being wild that yeti sees himself as a legless bird yeah and feels like if he ever falls like, if he just ever goes from gliding back to the ground, he's just going to die immediately. Yeah. And it just, that alone, that silly story is enough to really convey how much love has changed this man into a very violent, uh, nihilistic person who ultimately, when it comes down to his you know final scene in the film... It doesn't even feel like someone who is truly mad at the world. It feels like at a certain point he's just mad at himself. Yeah. And I think, again, shows how phenomenal the actor Leslie Chung is because he just fucking kills it in this scene. And, I mean, the cop is, I think out of everybody in this film, the the most normal reactions to everything (laughs) is probably from the cop. Yeah, Andy Lau's character is the most, like, well-adjusted. Because basically (laughs) he gets involved in the film because Suli Jen can't sleep due to how much 
Yuddy has hurt her, and so yeah. she ultimately runs into a cop. The cop clearly has some feelings for her, but ultimately, in I would say a very progressive, <laughs> very con- like a, a very mature way, is not trying to hit on her. Is not trying to date her. Is ultimately just trying to be there mm-hmm. to help and to just basically have someone to put you know lay their head on their shoulder without feeling like there's any kind of like implication that because yeah. they do that they're in love or they have to do this or that like it's it is the most i think healthy platonic ish relationship in this entire film and it's really right. delightful and i think shows a lot of the energy that you'll see kind of early on in the mood for love in terms of like how Wong Kar Wai is able to capture chemistry between two actors without even them like physically touching or like longingly looking into yeah, each other's or eyes. Like, like being in love yeah. mutually. Yeah. Like most of their scenes with each other, Eddie Lau and Maggie Chung just walk down streets. <laughs> yeah. And like maybe they're like next to a phone booth and look at each other once. Like ultimately you right. see you feel the energy that this cop has feelings for her, but ultimately he is going to be more of a supportive figure. Because that's what she needs right now. She doesn't need someone to be like, ah, damn, this Yeti guy broke your heart. Well, yeah. maybe I can fix that. Like, right. it's not. He's not like, sliding in there. No, he's basically being like, you are genuinely not sleeping, and you're a human being, and you need to, like, you know, be a normal person during the day. Yeah. Like, we need to figure out how to help you in some way. And he does help. And ultimately, at least to the point where Maggie Chung kind of stops seeing him mm-hmm. because she's kind of has to go on with her life and is like in a lost track of just time. And, and the police officer, again, he does not take it. He doesn't get offended by that. Right. Ultimately he leads him to realize that like his idea of like leaving the city is what he wants to do. And ultimately does yep. once they're kind of their fleeting, you know, friendship, you know, relationship kind of goes to pass. And, it's one of those things where, like, you could just make maybe another film or two on that. Hell, I bet a lot of other Wong Kar Wai films, non-Love Trilogy, have those elements kind of yeah. built in more. But it's fascinating just to kind of see how this film is, you know, at a certain point you're like, okay, it's it's lingering. Mm-hmm. I should be bored, but I'm not. I'm enjoying all the performances a lot, and what they're saying about love feels as profound as you can be at that age, but also in a way that doesn't feel like is saying it knows better than the audience or that it's like, it knows the end all be all like answer. Cause ultimately it feels like it's a film about naivete when love. Yeah. And like you said, baggage when it comes to like our, our relationships, whether it's with family, whether it's friends, past lovers, future lovers, like it's using that baggage to, convey not all the elements of ourselves but just showing just kind of like how those moments can define us yeah and define how we live from day to day and again for a sophomore effort fucking bravo the fact that this is like his (laughs) second film and is like damn you're making this work and the fact too that it's like (laughs) because again we talked about this off mic and because we're trying to i don't know the best way to bring it up until now but it is we got to talk about the Tony Long of the room. Yeah. A little bit more where it's like we cuz one of the defining kind of characters that is supposed to tie this whole thing together is Tony Lung's Chow, who is yeah. a lead in In the Mood for Love and is the lead in 2046. And apparently, according to IMDb, 
His name in this film is Chow. Yeah, he, I don't think I, he's named in the credits. I believe that is retroactive because I yeah. think genuinely at the time, Wong Kar Wai says that like his name initially, especially in the original language, is the gambler. Yeah, he's just a nameless. So, character. like, Chow, I think, is something that was added again, like Andy said, when it became more of an informal trilogy. Yeah. Also, the fact that Maggie Chung's character in Days of Being Wild has the same name yeah. as the character in both in the latter two films. So, I feel right. like people are just like, oh, this just has to be younger, incredibly sexy Chow. <laughs> so, let's just call him Chow in the credits, like yeah. in later releases. And. But yeah, he he's just here for a single scene. He doesn't yeah. interact with anyone. He's in a room by himself. <laughs> it's it, like an uncut shot of just him getting just dressed. Just a long shot of him getting ready and combing his hair. And I, I don't know about you. I, I felt like that was the movie's um, attempt at like a kind of optimistic note. Like like this is this is gonna sound reductive, but almost like a well, you know, you you just gotta keep getting back out there kind mm -hmm. of kind of thing because the the movie the main stories about um you know yeti and lulu and suli jen are kind of uh, they're not necessarily like uh bleak but but they're no. kind of dour downers they're a little bit more like you know kind of dealing with a lot of the themes that we get into and in these other two films of yeah like, you know, it's not always going to work out. You're not always in a space to be in love or to love someone, you know. Yeah, at, um, at best, they're bittersweet. At their, yeah, at best. At best. Um, and, and then Tony <laughs> Lung shows up, and it just it, it is kind of like a, oh, well, it's it feels like, oh, well, it's, it's Friday night. I guess we... I guess we keep plugging away. I guess, I guess we, we yeah. keep trying and we get back out there. There's 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 a Playboy out there in Hong yeah. Kong. There's yeah. not just one. <laughs> and yeah, and I think that again works in a retroactive way because again, initially that was supposed to be like his scene was supposed to be like, hey, well, guess what, audience? If you really liked what there's you saw with Yuddy, yeah. <laughs> this next film is all Tony Lung, baby. Sit down, uh, get yeah. ready. And I ultimately, yeah, I think that's a good way to look at it now, where it's like, yeah. The world keeps moving on, and while the characters we've seen it has either a, a bittersweet note or maybe even an ultimately hopeless note, mm -hmm. with that character just kind of like doing his own thing, enjoying his time, and just being like, it's time to go out on the town. It is <laughs> like, yeah, the world keeps moving, yep. and there's good and the bad tied to it. Yeah, And yeah, it's why I think Days of Being Wild is great. I think it... I had a great time with it, and I think, like, especially if we're, like, trying to introduce, if this is, like, your, like us, the first time you're fully watching a car, like, Wong Kar Wai film, it is like, okay, I'm on board. And if you watch yeah. it and you're not on board, well, <laughs> there it is. <laughs> like, this is a Wong Kar Wai for you. Yeah. And at this point forward, it just depends what elements kind of threw you off with days. Yeah, and it is worth noting, too, that this this movie is also uh, Wong Kar Wai kind of finding his language as a filmmaker yes um because yeah. i guess it's his second film yeah it's a second film and it's also his first film with uh christopher, christopher doyle, doyle his cinematographer for basically all of his other movies yeah um I, who I, then kind of hones that signature um wong Wai style that yeah. we'll that we'll talk more about but um and i believe it's the also the only film in this trilogy where it's just doyle a cinematographer because uh -huh. i feel like both in the mood for love especially 2046 went over budget and uh, <laughs> over time. So, like, yeah. Doyle had to There's leave. other people, yeah. yeah. and so, like, other cinematographers had to step in, which I think do a great job as well. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. But Days of Being Wild, from that point forward, it's like, even though it cont 
technically underperformed in the mind of the studio. That does not stop Wong Kar Wai from making, I believe after this, is Chun King <laughs> Express. Yeah. And well, then it's yeah. Happy Together. Uh, Ashes of Time, which is like a Ooh, period okay. piece about okay. a swordsman. Oh, um, all right. And then Fallen Angels, which is another kind of Hong Kong City Nights movie. Yeah. Um, I think it's kind of like Days of Being Wild, but maybe more violent from my understanding. Oh, cool. Um, I want to watch that one. And then, yeah, Happy Together. And then, yeah, we get to throughout the 90s, he's basically every establishing himself as like yeah. one of the it's the like every two or three years there's at least a Wong Kar Wai film that comes out people like it you go back into it yeah and it's like I think in the yeah in the 90s as he grows with more and more films in his filmography his popularity grows internationally yeah which leads us to his biggest film as well as probably in my opinion the best of the three which is 2000s in the mood for love a film that actually got distribution by Universal <laughs> that threw me off when I watched this on Max. Uh, uh. They it opened up with the Universal logo, <laughs> and it's like that just shows. <laughs> yeah. At the time, how people were aware of Wong Kar Wai, but yeah. Well, I think it was yeah right before uh, right before this came out. Uh, he won or not right before, but the last film he did before in the mood for love was uh, Happy Together, and he won Best Director at Cannes. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, and so that was like a big kind of oh, this you know, because that's also like a big that's a big queer film at a point where like China is not uh, too big on that. Yeah, and he wanted to be there. Like again, it's a film that I think is mainly made by people who are not queer, right? Playing queer characters, but are playing it with such passion and love for the queer community in China right. that it became such a hit in that way and. Tony Long, I think, is one of the leads in that film. Yeah, I think so. And I think of, I think in his um, when, because Tony Long, in case I'm trying not to throw in Marvel, but if you have seen Shang Chi, <laughs> he is the fucking Mandarin in that. Yes. So if you that seen, would be where a lot of yeah. Americans might recognize. Unfortunately, him because yeah. I mean that's his only Hollywood film. <laughs> yes, totally. <laughs> it's just what my brain goes to because, like, I remember when you know, Shang-Chi was coming out and like he was talking about his career and it's just like, God damn, this man has so many fucking films under yeah, his belt. Yeah. And yeah, at the time I mean, that he is like the, basically like the Leo of, uh, of Hong Kong. Like he is that. He should. And be. I don't mean to like equate them in talent or anything. They're, they're totally individual performers, but like just, just the, the household name and the popularity of them. I think, uh, yeah, I think Tony yeah. Lung has, like uh, not a nickname but there's like a mantra about him people say he's the man whose eyes can speak oh yes um, which because he does so much conveying oh, of emotion through his just his oh, expressions such, such a good way to put him because yeah. that is that is his forte in this fucking film <laughs> and in the mood for love it is to just go right into the plot because again similar to days of being wild the plot is loose in terms of what's going on. This is probably the most structured any of the plot yeah, has. definitely. Is the most the three. En- engaged that the film, uh, any of these films are into the plot. But it basically is a budding romance between two married people after they find out that their spouses are cheating with each other's spouses. <laughs> like, yeah, they, they move into apartments next door to each other yes yes um, and then yes uh, over the course of the film kind of piece to get each one of them kind of independently pieces together that their partner is uh having an affair with the other's partner and then they 
yeah, they kind of basically try and explore like together, like how could this have happened? Oh, let's my... walk through it again. It is like because going into this, I mean, this was the one film out of the three that I knew the plot to. Because again, oh, okay. we talked about it in the last, uh, we talked in the last trilogy that like this film is considered to be one of the best romance films yeah, of all time. Yeah. It is even considered in some one of the best films ever made internationally, yeah. and so like there are times where like I've looked up what is. What is one of the best performance films of all time about? <laughs> yeah. And it's like, oh, it's about a man and a woman being like, hey, I think my, my wife yeah. is cheating on me with your husband. Right. What do we and do it's with that? like, yeah, what do we do with that? And then what comes from that is so fascinating and so Wong Kar Wai in a way that it's just like, it just shouldn't work as in, it doesn't, shouldn't be as engaging as it is. Yeah. It and it, I mean, it really comes down to like, these two um it also takes i think 45 minutes for them to finally just bring that up to one another yeah like it's pretty clear they both are aware way before then but they don't say anything to one another until i think like the 45 minute yeah the uh the the process of getting them kind of as people like close enough and personal enough to have Uh, that conversation is a very gradual process that's um not uh i think a lot it's a very like Wong Kar Wai kind of leans into something in this movie that is present in days of being wild and even more so in 2046 that's like his version of his his way of telling stories is like very indirect um you don't get plot elements spelled out to you often, no, no, often no. critical like pivotal moments in these characters lives are kind of skipped past and then somebody kind of mentions it in passing later yes um, yes and so there there is a lot of it's not necessarily confusing or like c- convoluted uh but it is kind of a a gradual process of piecing together these little I, pieces of what's going on i would probably lives. say it's the most i would say it, it is somewhat confusing a little bit in 2046 because yeah. of the time span that film 2046 covers. definitely more because that yeah. film covers i believe if i'm correct six years well yeah. as both days of being wild and in the mood for love are like in the span of a year maybe a year and a half and in the mood for love well, kind of case toward the end of in the mood for love before the a coda. Lot of time yeah. jumps. there's yeah. a, there's an epilogue that kind of jumps a little bit but by that yeah. point the film was like okay and this is the end i just <laughs> want to cover this kind of over at that point yeah yeah and uh so with so within the mood for love it is really just like you are watching this couple just yeah slowly builds a platonic very neighborly uh you know relationship Mm-hmm. And because again, basically, what it is is like uh, it's, it's Suli Jin. It is is it Chen? Is Chan, it, yeah, like Chan is like yeah. I I don't know if that's just in a like an Amer- Anglicization of Shen. I thought it was always just like that was her husband's last name. Maybe so. so yeah. Um, so like Maggie Chung in this is supposedly they refer to her as Mrs. Chan. Yeah. Yeah. Is playing supposedly Suli from Days of Being Wild, but it's you know. Now that it that film takes place in the fifties, this film takes place in sixty two, sixty three, yeah, and is basically yes, Maggie Chung plays Mrs. Chan, while Tony Lung plays Mr. Chow, and Mrs. Chan's husband is always you know going overseas, you know working, yeah, he's you a know, traveling businessman. Yes, while uh, Mr. Chow's wife 
uh, is working late. He works late nights, usually comes mm-hmm. in when he's sleeping. He he is a journalist by trade, so he works a normal kind of 9 to 5, comes home. And usually when he comes home, Mrs. Chan is already home from her job as a secretary. And so every now and again, they might run into each other when she's like, she's the one to, you know, cook. So she just goes down the street to some of the best noodles I've ever fucking seen in a film. <laughs> and it just makes me sad that I can't just do that myself. Yeah. I don't know if I would want to do that if, like, I found out, <laughs> hey, there's a noodle shop just down, down the, street. the street. But at the same time, I think about it. Yeah. But it ultimately starts with just, like, little passes here and there, just cordial little nods and conversations until they reveal to one another that they know. And they've known for a while that yeah. their spouses are cheating on, like, on them with each other's spouses. Yeah. And and the way that they, the film does it, I fucking love. I love once it's established is basically like, oh, hey, that is a nice uh, piece. That's <laughs> nice, nice purse you got not, Yeah, where'd you get that from? It's like, oh, that's great. Oh, where'd you, oh that's a nice tie. Where'd yeah. you get that tie? My and husband has the same tie. And it's just like, ah, it is so well done. It's also well done the fact that, like, to make us connect more with Maggie Chung and Tony Leung's characters – you never see the faces of each other's spouses. You yeah. always see they'll see, the you'll back. see the back of their head, or like they'll be maybe, off camera yeah. and like maybe Chow they're or Chan are talking to them, but they're not in mm-hmm. the frame. Maybe their feet, but not in a Tarantino way. <laughs> you just watch them walk around, yeah. you know, doing their thing, and yeah, you'll hear their voices. So like the, you, they're there physically. It's just you're not going to see yeah what they and look I, like. I and, really like that aspect. Yes, of, it's almost kind of like. Um, uh, peanuts like a, yeah, like Charlie so yeah. Brown you know mm-hmm. all the parents you never really see them they talk mm-hmm. and you know wow 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 it, it um, had a... it just really focuses you in on these mm-hmm. two and kind of immerses you in like their isolation yeah because like even before they're aware of the infidelity they're like they're basically living like single people they spend almost all their waking time alone when they're not at work yeah um because their partner is either overseas or working late or fucking the neighbor's spouse um yeah and you know it's just like it's an interesting that is the first like 45 minutes of this movie is just kind of like their routines they're Mm -hmm. like uh and it's a because it's really effective in just like getting you into the space that they're living in because ultimately too and this is something that i think shows how when people think of a romance film there's this idea of like oh if it's an america if it's kind of like what an american film does maybe this is a love at first sight situation it is not that no when they first meet it is as cordial that is you know functory yeah just as normal as can can be oh hi neighbor there's not even moments where you think, like, you know, there are moments where Mrs. Chan is with Mr. Chan. You know, maybe they're playing Mahjong with, yeah. like, their their Na- uh, neighbor. The, okay, yeah, that that I don't, I don't understand. There's an aspect of this that I think is a cultural divide <laughs> that I was a little bit lost on. Sounds like you were, which too. Is, which, the, like, the, there maids? Are like, well, there's maids, but there's also, like, multiple tenants in one apartment. Yeah, 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 yeah. There, there's Chow, Chow and his wife. There's, like, an older woman or an older couple that like lives in the same space as them or is constantly there yeah, it's not a landlord it's like if a landlord was just a few rooms <laughs> yeah where it's like you know these three rooms are run by this woman while these yeah. three rooms are run by this guy yeah i don't know if because... it's like an apartment building where 
somebody owns every apartment and then yeah. rents out part of the apartment uh-huh or i don't what? know yeah because yeah because the first kind of moment where just chan and chow finally kind of meet and talk to one another fully is when they both end up moving in at the same time yeah. and it's you know they keep they start getting each other's stuff yeah, the movers and it's, are and like yeah. putting stuff in the wrong and it's apartment. very funny and it's well done and from that point forward, it's like, you know, there are little moments where you think like, oh, this is the moment where Tony Lung's going to look back longingly because he really wants to be. No, he doesn't. They don't want to yeah. be with each other until they both admit to one another that their spouses are cheating. And well, then even after that. Yeah. And then even after that, it's like it's them just trying to figure out why would they do this to us? Right. Which ultimately leads to the result of I now understand why they did this to us <laughs> and I'm not. I still don't like it. I actually hate it now because... Because now I get it. I can't... Yeah, I can't have that. Yeah. Because, again, this is... To me, and I think this is probably the most contentious we might get about talking one of the mm. films here, because I feel like the other two films are kind of similar in terms of how we feel about them. You were disappointed with this one a bit. Yeah, I was disappointed, and- but mostly from a sense of, like, where I ex- where I expected to be on it versus where I was. I mm-hmm. still like this movie. I think it's a good movie. And I also think I'm probably wrong in most of my gripes with it just because the world agrees with me. Well, you also just love, disagrees with well, me. you just also love Chunking Express so surprisingly more that I think you just yeah. Kind of like Yeah, that you... one worked really well for me and I watched it. I watched these chronologically, so I watched Chunking Express just out of curiosity in between yeah. Days of Being Wild and In the Mood for Love and really enjoyed that and i was like oh cool and in the mood for love is going to be even better and then it was like not quite as good and i was just yeah i was <laughs> just disappointed because i was like i've seen so many people have such amazing yeah. experiences with this movie and i was like i'll eh. i'll admit because that was me because yeah. I, I this is a five out of five right for me personally i just was watching it and just being like and again it, it could just be how life is right now but just in terms <laughs> of just like watching the film it's just like they're just there's one moment in the film that just felt it hit so hard where it was like Tony Lung and Maggie Chung are just, they're talking now that they've admitted to one another. This is also one of the most fascinating parts of the film is once they've admit to each other that their spouses are cheating. Yeah. Um, they now at times role play how it might've happened. Yeah. They like where, simulate the yeah, scenario. Where Chow plays Mr. Chan and Mrs. Chan plays Mrs. Chow. And like, there's a moment where Tony Lung just goes like, listen, if I think about what I did wrong, it ultimately doesn't matter because like at a certain point, what's done is done. It's only going to eat me up inside. Right. And then like immediately after, as they like kind of disband, he goes back to like the newspaper office, <laughs> sits down, single light on in his office, and is just staring into nothing while a cigarette is lit in his hand. Yeah. And that look of just like losing yourself to just everything that is going on and just being like you're 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 being honest to yourself but you're also not it's yeah. like fuck yeah this what a fucking film like this it just the, really uh, captures it well yeah well and and i think wong kar wise uh what i was saying earlier about his kind of indirect language as a storyteller is a really big like a really powerful tool in those moments because yes. there's no there's no like scene where they're like okay let's let's like plan let's let's simulate how they did it it just kind of drops you in out of nowhere of them yeah. like saying these things to each other and you're i like, love that and you're like oh I they're l- fuck they're in love they're in love yeah. oh oh no they're just they're just pretending oh wait but 
but I think they might actually it, be. Because like, that's you know. what's great. What's great too is the fact that it's like, yeah, it's almost like at that point, even though what you know about each character is like what you've seen, and it's like it's it's just enough to understand that like when that starts to happen, it feels off. Yeah, it feels off where it's like Chow is coming off a little too strong at this <laughs> moment. Why would anyone come off after hearing that about his wife cheating? And right, and then ultimately, yeah, it's just a. It is a it is a it just shows off no, they are trying to figure out why this would happen. And then ultimately it gets to a point where like instead of like I don't want to talk about this, <laughs> they ultimately find a hobby that they both want to be a part of. Right. And in the combination of that hobby, you know, they're worried that people might talk and think that they're actually having an affair when in reality <laughs> they're just writing martial arts serials. It's a, yeah, it's not treated as such, but it's no. almost a, a comedic scenario and where it's, it's like hilarious. we're not cheating we're not being unfaithful yeah. but we're putting ourselves in a yeah, situation just, where everybody thinks we are we're just trying to figure out where the drunken master shows up in the story yeah and they're it's writing so fucking, fucking funny yeah and what's so great too is like the film does a phenomenal job of showing that these two actors and these two characters are brimming i mean fucking overflowing with chemistry mm. and when they are together my God, is it just unbearable when you realize at a certain point that the romance aspect of this film, like Andy said, is like it is just dropping you into it, but also it is just it is just eyes. It is yeah, all, it's all eyes. eyes yeah. It's all looking. The, I mean, they barely say when, anything to each other about like feelings for each other until it's almost over. This is this is yeah. This is the type of film where as soon as they touch each other's hands, you're screaming because <laughs> you're like, oh my fuck, they're doing it. Like, there's a yeah. moment in the film where Mr. Chow ends up getting sick because, again, this is so fucking funny. But he like is like, I think your husband probably would just like get out of the cab a little early and then let you get there so it doesn't look yeah. suspicious. And he does that on a night where it's raining, <laughs> so he gets a cold. Yeah. And then um, when he gets a cold, Mr. Chow's uh, bold, slightly pervy friend, mm-hmm. I think it's Ping. Or is it Ho or is, Ping? I, maybe ah, po- Ping. It's Ping, yeah. Ah, Ping. Like, he basically is like, yeah, he usually, like, he wants me to find sesame syrup for him because it's going to help him with his cough. I don't know. And then literally the next shot, it is like um, Mrs. Chan's, like, neighbors being like, I don't know why you're making so much sesame syrup. There's no reason for it. <laughs> yeah. It's like, and then, like, in your head, you're going, oh, they want to fuck so bad. Right. But all she's made is, like, she's just being, it's, it's like, he's like, oh, it's being nice. No, the fact that she is doing that and no one asked her to do that, <laughs> that just shows her love without yeah. being, you know, overly, you know, communicative in, like, an, 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 not a normal sense, but, like, in a verbal sense. Yeah. Like, all the love that they have for one another is shown visually in such a way that is so mature. Yeah. And... Again, just shows how much Wong Kar Wai evolved from 1990 to 2000 Mm -hmm. as a filmmaker as well as a storyteller. And the fact that it's just like by the end of the film, it is. I mean, the film even does something that, like, try not to get too much about it, but like Andy said, like, there is is some time skipping towards the end of the film. And, like, I think most films, if they did that, I'd fucking hate it. (laughs) But this is the type of film where it's kind of like, honest to God, like, I. If you want to go like to like where are they at in the eighties, I don't fucking care. I want to know. <laughs> like, you just see, like Wong Kar Wai is just letting you just letting you know this is where these characters are doing now. This is what like you know like this, like that, and ultimately another thing that kind of threw me off within the move for love. The twenty forty six does have moments of it. Definitely has to do with the fact that he's shooting on film, but in the move the love looks like a film in the sixties. 
Yeah. Like the way yeah. that it's shot, the lighting, the feel of the whole thing feels like you're watching a film that has been around for decades. Yeah. But I mean, longer it's... than like it, like, but not to like the point where it's like 24 years since it came out, more like 44 years <laughs> since it came out or 54. Like it's, uh, yeah. It's, yeah. it's cause the set design is phenomenal. The costume design. I mean, again, like this is a, this is a film where it's like, there is a bit of a monotony to it considering that they constantly go through the same hallway to go to the same mm-hmm. place to get noodles. Mm-hmm. But as soon as you get to 2046 and in 2046, there is a single fucking shot of the, popular street and in the mood for love and my heart skipped a beat there's there's a moment in 2046 where you see the the, oh yeah like you know where the with the windows that are that are like kind of like jailed up or kind of like you know yeah they have the the bars bars the barred up and it's like ah i i had i had like a i had an internal wojack (laughs) moment and i was like i can't believe i'm doing that for a fucking for a fucking alley yeah like, but at the same time, I was like, if two hundred four six showed me some noodles, I'd do the same thing. Because yeah. the noodles has nothing to do on the film other than the fact that, like, you know, both characters at some points just don't want to cook for themselves, so they get noodles, yeah. and it's like they just go down to like a fucking alley that just has a bunch of old men making delicious noodles in a little shop. Yeah, and I was like, God damn it, that's that's so cool. I want those noodles so bad. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take a lifetime supply, please. But yeah, this is. I, I think I'll try to be as uh, a little bit vaguer than usual when it comes to these three films because I do want people to experience yeah the, the full blunt yeah. because I mean there's so especially towards the end the, the end, end there's so little plot to these yes. like saying that much is just gonna give away a lot of like yeah. where it's going and also talking about two hundred four six is gonna have to give away certain elements because like yeah. with because two hundred four six it is called that. Because it is based off of the hotel room in In the Mood for Love that they end up meeting in. Yes. When they start writing martial arts serials, when they don't want people to think that they're sleeping with one another, when they just don't want people to be suspicious, and ultimately right. leads to more things involving that room that is not the, what you would think it is, you sicko. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about love. Yeah. <laughs> no, but yeah, In the Mood for Love, I mean, for me, is I, I think it's perfect and I love it and I'm glad that you really enjoyed it and I'm, I'm glad as well that you watched something that Wong Kar Wai did where it's like I like this better but it is kind of like yeah you know it's a bummer that like because again I understand we both oh my god like we could count the amount of times we've been told oh my god this film is the best thing I've ever seen in my fucking life this is gonna change your life yeah and you watch it and you go it was really good uh, yeah and again in the well movie, and there are, there are plenty of movies that I've watched a first time had super high expectations from other people for didn't do that much for me. And then I watch it, you know, revisit it later in life. And it's like, ah, yeah, it all settles into place. So this yeah. could be a movie it like could that. Be. It's certainly a movie. You can't, I mean, you can't have any amount of love for movies and not appreciate what this movie is doing. Just oh, because yeah. of the, the, the amount that it's trying to convey and successfully conveying. I don't mean to no, say for it's, sure. it's no, absolutely. Um, and the the visual language of the film is just incredible. And yes. the use of color and the use of like hallways as framing devices and mirrors as framing yes. devices. It's just it 
Ugh. And also the fact that like all three of these films, I believe, don't have original scores. They're all needle drops of pre- oh, yeah. previously existing yeah. work. And all the needle drops in all three of these films are great. I mean, I mean, they're they're great pieces. Now, are they used in great times? Well, two o four six. I think there are some <laughs> callbacks to the other two films where it's like, I know what you're trying to do, but like, yeah. you get to use a different track here, probably. <laughs> but yeah, the fact that it's like this is a film where like all this is a, again similar to almost like a dream that you like a recurring dream. There are so many scenes where it's like, and we're gonna get this score again. We're gonna get this piece again. Yeah. Here's the piece. Here's the love theme, basically, or here's this theme. And it's like at a certain point, every time it hits, it becomes like a you're not you're not bored by it. At least for me, it was just like, OK, it's hitting again. It just yeah. keeps fucking hitting. It, and I'm just annoyed by the fact <laughs> that it hits so well every time. The interesting thing is like the use of music and especially this movie is like it, it stands in contrast to the rest of how uh wong like tells his stories because like i said he's very kind of not gonna come everything a lot of things are implied in the way he tells stories but then his use of music is very like oh it's a them moment we play the them song yep Mm -hmm. we play the the love theme which i i think is the most egregious in 2046 (laughs) yeah because like an in the mood for love it's almost like i they've earned it yeah yeah well it's a 2046 it's like that's the in the mood for love song don't you fucking play that right now (laughs) i know what you're doing i will say i'm done with that (laughs) that's also true kind of in uh chunking express they play california dreaming over and Fuck. over yes. and over. And it's awesome. And that's because one of the characters just loves the song. But it's kind of hilarious. I would love it the, if The someone... amount of music repetition in Wong's movie. Gosh, there's an alternate reality where, like, Wong Kar Wai makes a film in, like, the 2000s. And it's this reoccurring song is, like, Fuck You by CeeLo Green. <laughs> yeah. And I would just love, like, just think of, like, like, a song where it's, fake like. Fake it by Seether. <laughs> yeah, it's just, like, it's like he just likes the song Hoobastank. so much. Yeah. That would be, I would jump across multiple yeah. universes just to see how he could make that work because yeah. it works incredibly well in these first two films and uh-huh. i think it does work well for the most part in 2046 yeah and yeah in the mood for love is slaps and if again if you have max this is readily this is the most readily available of the three films yeah and it's i mean yes 2046 does is is a sequel and yes there are yes. characters across all three films but like you can watch in the mood for love completely by itself have no idea about any other movie and be totally fine yeah like it totally stands because one car was a class act that realizes yeah i'll make like more films that tie to others but i'm not gonna force you to like watch them all you yeah. can eat as enjoy it as you would if you want to come back you can yeah. like it's I like mean, he's, might he's so be, cheeky you might be a little bit lost when mr chow looks at mrs chan and says avengers assemble Oh, I thought but, you. Were, I thought you were going to say, "Well, I guess I'm not really in the mood for love, am I?" Uh, so that just happened. Uh, gosh, talk about being days of being wild. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh my gosh, no, it's yeah, and it also in terms of the love aspects, I think we talk a little bit less in terms of thematic elements. There is elements about desire, the forbid, kind of like the forbiddenness of love can be at times, and also all three of these films kind of have the energy about. The, the balance between, you know, how the balance between time and love, if not perfect, can ultimately lead to tragedy or can lead to complications. Yeah. That, well, yeah. You know, deep can deepen a relationship, but also can hinder it. And right. I, I think that's a really fascinating look, especially when watching 
you know, days of being wild and then in the mood for love and realizing that like there is a maturity there that shows like, yeah, these are not just aimless 20 somethings anymore. They're now in like their mid thirties. Mm-hmm. They've gotten married and now things are love is more, love is almost as complicated as the first film, but in a different way. And yeah. I really like that. And well, and it's also the kind of, I mean, it's a, it's kind of a double whammy of, of melancholy in this because it's like first the, the realization of like oh now i understand our spouses you know mm-hmm. betraying us yeah because i feel that way now you know i i mm-hmm. love this person that i'm not supposed to love um but then also the double whammy after that 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 comes when when time becomes a factor yeah and you know, we'll leave it at that because yeah. i we definitely this is i think going to be the most interesting of the conversations because this film should not work I feel like when I was watching this film, I was like, this should be a fucking mess. 2046? Yes. Yeah. I feel like this is this is, is a film that is like, as a finale, I do think works as a finale, but it's clearly like this was not the initial intention yeah. for the film. And with 2046, yeah. there's a four-year gap between this and The Mood for Love. And reportedly, again, there's very little that has been brought out about this film except for the fact that like... I believe the film was a little over ten million in budget. Mm-hmm. Box office, I think, did about twenty. Yeah. Uh, I also don't even think it ever got a U.S. theatrical release. It had festival runs, right? But I think it got a DVD release, <laughs> and that was it until the Criterion kind of you know brought it back in. Yeah. Um, it's the first time Wong Kar Wai uses widescreen in this film. Oh yeah. It's, it's okay. also it's also I think the first time you see him using uh, CGI. <laughs> Right. And I honestly think, to be honest, it could have been a lot worse than I was yeah. expecting. I think it's actually handled really well. But 2046 as a premise, I think, is probably the most complicated. Because it really, it's a, yeah. it, the film is supposed to be <laughs> about Mr. Chow, post In the Mood for Love, using his sci-fi story as a bit of a cathartic release, trying to figure out where in his mind at that moment in time, kind of like in his late 30s into his 40s, figuring out what love is to him now on top of the fact that like he has all these different women in his life that are kind of coming and going while writing said story and how these women affect him what his relationship with each woman is it the same is it different does it remind him of a certain woman from the last film yeah what does this kind of lead to in terms of a finale for a love trilogy and what it leads to is I think a film that is by far the messiest of the three. Because, Definitely the most abstract. Because apparently, I think, and again, this could be wrong, but it, it has the energy that what this film wanted to be initially was the 2046 story as a whole. Like the, the sci-fi whole, like, element? Yeah, like it yeah. wanted to be that. I think there's even reports that like Tony Lung was in talks to do the film, but is not Chow. Okay. And I think later on, it became more of like, hold on. What if it's a story that yeah. is inside the universe of the other two films and is like, you know, used as kind of a dissection of where Chow is right now as a man? And it leads to, I think, a really, I think a really good finale by the end of it, mainly because of one thing in particular. Because I think the plot, I mean, again, we've already said with the other two films, the plot is loose. I think the plot is in- exceptionally <laughs> loose in this fucking yeah. film. It gets to a point. At least I, I assume you were in the same boat as me, where at a certain point I realized, huh, 
haven't seen the 2046 story in a while. Don't really think I need it, but like, yeah, that's kind of cool. And then it just card cuts to that, to that, and then you are stuck. Yeah. yeah, you're there, and you're like, this is cool. I think the set design and the costume design does a <laughs> great pretty. job. Yeah. It does a great job of capturing the sci-fi aesthetic with clearly a low budget, without yeah. feeling, without feeling low budget. Like it feels very stylized in a mm-hmm. good way. But yeah, at a certain point, the film can go 30 minutes. Never talk about the story 2046 and then just like be like on train 2046, which is the story, by the way. Here we are now. Here's these characters. This woman is from my real life, but she's an android in this story. And it's like it shouldn't work. And I think at times it doesn't in terms of like engagement. Like I feel like in all honesty of all these films, this is the one that it's just like it pulls me out. When I'm yeah. invested enough, and then it kind of like I have to get readjusted. Yeah, it's a and then real. It kind of pulls me out. It's again. not a movie that has momentum. <laughs> no, it's, or it's, it's a movie that's constantly putting speed bumps on its own momentum. Yeah, it, it feels like it's the dreamlike feeling in this film is almost like, you know, like when you just sit in your head for a while and you just have random thoughts pop in from ha- time to time, and then you get to a point where you're like. What was the first thought I had that ultimately led right. to the twelfth thought? How did we get here? Oh, that's right, we got from here. Yeah, and so it gets to a point where it's like all the twenty forty six stuff. I think is visually appealing. I think the sci fi story is fun enough, but to be honest, unsurprisingly, the most engaging stuff is when it's just Mister Chow talking about how he's a sad playboy. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> he's like it's... yeah he 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 is kind of fascinating, especially in the context of the the whole trilogy, because it's almost like chow becomes yuddy yeah like chow like kind of regresses because yeah. that, that is maturity. the weird the weird thing about 2040 or gosh i don't want to keep wanting to say because it, it's a fucking sci-fi story but it is 2046 is easier yeah. to say yeah. But, yeah. but yeah but it's 2046 because again it is because again it makes it so confusing is the fact that like the story is 2046 because it just so happens it's a sci-fi narrative not in the year 2046 it's just a sci-fi narrative that has a train yeah. Called two oh four six. Well, like the uh, the story is also like the story that he's telling. Yeah, two oh four six is also kind of vague about that because it's like, oh, we're tra- we're referring to it as a place that people go to, yes. but no, actually, it's yes. the train that people take yeah. to get there. And, and also, there's like, there's and, and here's another like cultural historical divide thing, but like twenty forty six or two oh four six also from a meta context represents the year that um yes hong yeah. kong is supposed to um be released from released from yeah basically the this is a reductive way of putting it because i don't understand all the nuances but like released basically from like chinese control control yeah, yeah. becomes independent again i guess yeah so there, there, there are definitely layers to that and it still <laughs> is like, confusing because again at a certain point too it just goes from like it's also the name of the hotel room it, from yeah, in the moon for love because it's called 2046 because it is basically mr chow using his experiences he's chasing with, that room that yeah, time that yeah he is experience. because the whole thing about the train is once you get on 2046 in his story you can never get off because why would you get off because you're thinking of all the f- the great memories you yeah. had in the past and no one has ever gotten off because who would want to get off that? And right. it's like, Jesus Christ, man. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. You poor man. And again, I mean, Andy's right. Like, 
Chow at a certain point, you'd watch this and you'd go, oh, fuck, you're Yeti. Mm-hmm. But not in a violent way. No, like in he's any way. not that. He's just... But he is a womanizer. He is, and, uh, he is a little sleazier than he is in the yeah. in this last film. He I mean, is, honestly, he's much sleazier. Honestly, and in the mood for love, he's fairly nondescript as yeah. a personality. No, like yeah. The, he's nice. Every, yeah, everything we <laughs> learn about him is like in the context of how he feels about Mrs. Chan. I, I think there's one time in the mood for love where they talk about the fact that Mr. Chow and his wife had a fight. Yeah. But it doesn't sound like they don't say they got physical. It was just a shouty match. Yeah. And that's it. Like that's yeah. the most he's you hear about polite. him. He's super yeah. reserved. Everyone loves him. We love Mr. Chow. Yeah, nice guy. He and gives then... he gives money to his friend Ping, even though his friend shouldn't have any money. Yeah. And ultimately, now Mr. Chow but then is... he gets a lip worm and becomes a Tony Stark. <sighs> God, figure. I love that mustache. <laughs> I love that Gatsby looking like yeah. era. Like this is my new look. <laughs> I've changed. It was a conscious choice. There. It is a conscious yeah. choice. It is It is very funny. It has the energy. I just saw a clip of from New Girl. I think it's like in the, towards the end of the series uh-huh. when it's like there's a time jump and Max Greenfield's character has a mustache and Jake Johnson's right. character goes, I hate it. I hate everything about <laughs> it. It's disgusting. He should take it off. And I'm just watching this and I'm like, he pulls it off as best he can Tony but that Lung is... pulls it off yeah like just his but his Mr. Face, Chow but Mr. Chow yeah. it's not working it's actually really funny because in the film at one point uh he loses a bet and shaves off half the mustache <laughs> and for a brief moment in certain shots I'm excited to see baby face Chow uh-huh. but it just he just won't let go of that mustache yeah. even if it's half he on there to hold on to it but yeah I think 2046 is a bit confusing on the get-go and I think once you figure it out it just becomes a little bit frustrating in terms of like figuring out yeah. especially on a first watch okay how long do i have with the thing that i'm interested in fully before it cuts away before it becomes like a cute little sci-fi story that like i don't know how long it's gonna last yeah and again the and sci-fi story has relevance to mr chow's development because it's him basically outward saying this is totally not how i'm feeling right now but this is kind of how i'm feeling right yeah now. it's the and you it's, know he's he's writing himself into these stories and kind of yes r- only realizing it as he's going along yes um, and it's uh and when you're when we're not in the, the sci-fi story uh, it's it like i mean again structurally kind of goes back to days of being wild where it's like just kind of vignettes of his different relationships yes uh and and, and how those play out differently based on the, the different personalities and the women that he's with. Which I... And they have, have their own shit going on. I have to say, I think in terms of my faults with the film, what really saved the film towards the end of it, and I think what ultimately gave me, like... Because I was kind of stuck on like a six and a half at uh-huh. the beginning, and then it became a seven, and then it kind of came down back again and back and forth. But it ultimately <laughs> became a seven and a half out of ten for me because of the women. Yeah. Like, Tony Lung is great in the film, I think, like, any emotional moment that Tony Lung has with these women where he could be the man from In the Mood for Love again, but ultimately doesn't because he's afraid to open up. Again, Lung just shows that in his fucking face and does it incredibly well. He has that line, like, anyone's welcome to borrow my time or whatever, but, like, that's it. That's borrowing is all you're doing. And, like, there's there's this shitty little smile that it's, like, it's a fake smile almost not to fool it's not to fool them it's to fool himself yeah the whole persona is for him but like the women in this film rule they're all so good the performances are great maggie chung shows up for five seconds and by the point she (laughs) shows up it doesn't even matter yeah because it's like the other women that are like 
in Tony and Mr. Chow's life are so engaging and interesting and fun. And also, like, because, again, as soon as Ziyi Zhang basically becomes, like, the lead love interest, like, the Lulu of the story, which is funny to say because Lulu is in the film. Lulu is in the like, film for, like, for five minutes. Vignette, yeah. yeah. And she basically says to the camera, I'm Lulu from Days of Being Wild. <laughs> and the actress is like, I mean, she kills it. She's great. It's great yeah. that you got her back to do it. And um, Karina Lau. Yeah. Yes. Uh, who is Tony Lung's wife. Like I said prior, I think they got married. They got married after the film. But uh, Zi Zhang, who at the time is on a fucking hot streak when this film comes out, at this point in time she's already in. She's like the leading crouching tiger, hidden dragon. Yeah, she's in fucking Rush Hour too, which doesn't mean <laughs> like it's a fucking like oh my gosh, the, that movie made Rush Hour billion dollars. No, yeah. it just that when I think of like she is in, she's made the American crossover. Right. Where it's like, I think even at this point, Tony Lung, I think, kind of has, but not to the same degree as this right. kind of feeling. Yeah. So to have Zi Zhang show up in your film, and the <laughs> fact that this woman just is captivating in every one of her scenes, and the fact that she is just... If you just take a shot for every time this woman looks longingly in a window and just cries a single fucking tear, <laughs> you're dead in 45 minutes. This yeah, woman, she's going through it. She is incredible. When it gets to a point in the film where Chow basically like gives her ten dollars for her time, and is to a degree just being like, you know, having the feel like lying to himself and lying to her. They're like, oh, I'm just with you because of sex. Yeah, he's her, down downplaying the relationship because yeah, that's just what he's doing now because yeah. he just went through. What we've seen, just a horrible yeah. traumatic event to a degree in his brain of just loving someone and not being able to reciprocate it fully. Um, just the face she makes immediately as she gets the $10, and then as soon as he leaves, oh, heartbroken. <laughs> just hurts. It just like, think of it, like, really think of it now. I can't even fully imagine it in my brain because it hurts so much when I first saw it. Yeah. So I was like, this woman is just acting the fuck out of just being in a room by herself and can't be loud. Yeah. Like she can't and like and she's just a phenomenal foil to Chow where it's like she's very <clears throat> Lulu-esque in her tenacity in her personality, but she's not Lulu. It's not yeah. doesn't feel like it's a repeat. It genuinely feels like she plays off of Chow's new persona incredibly well and could be the one person that could pull him out of his funk. But in all honesty, he is just not ready. Yeah. He doesn't want that. And unfortunately, it's like he feels so bad for her and in a very Yuddy-like way kind of just lies to her that he's not that interested. In all honesty, I think at a certain point, it becomes less that he's lying about it and is just being brutally honest. Yeah. Where it's like he is interested in her, but not in the same level. And that it's like, no, we're not doing that. Yeah. I don't want to do that again right. where it's like, I don't want to be, I don't want to be interested in somebody where it's like, I can't tell gauge wise where I am compared to you. Mm -hmm. And so it's going to be easier where I'm just going to like smile with my pencil thin mustache, <laughs> give you $10 and just pretend like everything's fine. Yeah. And again, she's not the only person who is killing it in this film. Uh, Fei Wong comes back uh, from, um, she, well, she was in Chungking Express, and I think she had a bit small part in in the mood for love. Does she have a bit small part? Uh, or is it is she in Days of 
being wild. I don't know. But apparently, yeah, Fei Wong. Oh my God. Yeah. She's Again, great. Like, it's every time that like you just like that was a phenomenal performance from that actress. Ah, I'm just gonna. She's not in the film right now. It's a bummer, but you know maybe something. And then it's just like, by the way, here's this woman, and you're like, fuck, man, <laughs> she's she's phenomenal too on the same level, but in different yeah. ways. Because Fei Wong's character ends up being another romantic interest in a vastly different light. Yeah, well, and, she and she's a she's an interesting one because it's like she and Chow have a thing, but she's really in love with her own. Man, like yes uh one that got away her one yeah. she can't be with all the while and, and it, it's kind of like chow is more almost just playing witness to that and another thing too that i think shows the most apparent in 2046 that it is a is a through line through all of Wong Kar wise films is the fact that like this is a film where it is a cast of characters where all of their main languages are not entirely the same but Wong Kar Wai basically directs them to do every scene in their native tongue, even if it doesn't make sense <laughs> that they would know each other. Like, because yeah. the Japanese boyfriend that um, Mimi has, Fei Wong character has, like, he speaks, I think, entirely in Japanese. I think he yeah. never speaks in Chinese, even when he shows up in Hong Kong. Right. Uh, the, the landlord is in Cantonese. Mm-hmm. And then I think... There's yeah there's there's other aspects where it's just like it's other different uh, Chinese languages mixed in there, and it's like it's it's so seamless because it really is at a certain point, like we've talked about with long with the other two two films, it's like it's just the emotion, it's it's the emoting in the face, it's the yeah. eyes, it's the intensity in the way they say the words, where it's like even if it's technically they wouldn't understand, it's the way they say it where it's like oh that's got to be important, <laughs> and it's yeah. like. It really is just fascinating, and I think two four two oh four six ends up being. I mean, to me, I think it's is to me what in the what in the mood for love is for you, where it's like I think I need to sit on it, maybe mm. give it another watch in the future. I don't have any interest in doing so right now. Yeah, but I think the more I've thought about it, I've kind of appreciated how, for a film that feels like it is the most aware of, you know how much In the Mood for Love is beloved, as well as how it kind of ties in as a somewhat, could be a trilogy at the time, The Wong Kar Wai still makes a third film that feels like, here it is, here's the third film, but it's not what you're going to expect it to be. And what ultimately leads from that is a film that is, yes, it's a little disjointed, it's mm-hmm. a tad frustrating, and is flawed, but ultimately, when the film is in its finale, ugh, that's where lung shines. That's where like everything you love about the film get that point. I think has a great moment of a great spark. Yeah, and leads to I think, in my mind, with a lot of great lines that Tony Lung has in two of the three films because he doesn't say a fucking word in Days of Being Wild. <laughs> but I think Tony Lung's last like spoken words in the film, like because like most of the films also done in monologue. Uh, kind of a v- voiceover by Tony Lung on top of Tony Lung acting in the scenes sometimes. But like his last scene was Zi Zhang, like when he finally admits to like what he won't lend is just like, that's so fucking good. And yeah. it ends and it ends in a way where it's like immediately it ends this trilogy on like a, well, that's a very kind of tragic end. <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, it almost has a feeling of like days of being wild where it's like, 
there's a bitter sweetness to it, but it's also like he finally understands what he wants mm-hmm. or what he's looking for and is now able to just not lie about it. Yeah. And I think he's also- finally able to be honest with himself. Yeah. And I think it's in the time jumps while it is kind of like, you know, as it's going through the film and it's like, you know, this person's coming in and out while it is like, oh, okay, uh, I guess this technically takes place a little bit before the epilogue of In the Mood for Love, but you know, that doesn't really fucking matter. At a certain point, it just, you kind of get used to how the film is being like, you get used to like the, the normal stuff. Yeah. It's when the sci-fi stuff gets thrown in where it's like, ah, <laughs> oh, this is... It's a little confusing, but like I'm having a good time. This yeah. is fun. I mean, yeah. this this works, and this feels very Wong Kar Wai without having to uh, feel like it's losing anything in the sci-fi aesthetic. And right. I, even though it also has the fact that it's like at a certain point the sci-fi story isn't two o four six. I think halfway through it becomes two o four seven. Yeah, which is again, it's to show a change, and it's right. understandable, and even it comes a part of the story. Because at a certain point, it is brought up to Chow himself about needing to have a happy ending. <laughs> Which I think is like, honestly, I, I think the way that the film ends, I think, is about as happy as one of these films could end. Yeah. To a degree yeah. where it's like a more of a self-reflection. And while he's still kind of stuck in like the thinking about what happened in the last film, he's, there is there's a bit of hope that he could get out of there. Yeah, and yeah, and I mean, if it it is an effective cap on, I think what the the whole trilogy is generally trying to to discuss with love, which yes. is that kind of you know the 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 melancholy, the bittersweetness of you know for whatever reason, whether it's incompatibility, bad timing, you know, just where you are in your lives, love not working out but also being able to balance the kind of two-handed factor of still cherishing those moments you had in love, Mm -hmm. but also not, you know, idling in it, dwelling on it, and just, like, throwing your life away by living in the past. Yeah. And this kind of, like, the ending ends up making a pretty good thesis for the whole trilogy about that. Um, Yeah. About, like... Yeah, you can have all that. You can have those memories and those feelings and that nostalgia and the melancholy. And you can also still have a whole other life. <laughs> yeah, and it's and it shows, again, it shows how strong of a director Wong Kar Wai is because in my mind it's like this is like a seven and a half, seven of his, but like it's could be another director's nine. <laughs> like It's like there's so much interesting aspects to this film that it's like while it is flawed, noticeably more than the other two films in my opinion while i do think Mm -hmm. that like it ultimately you know could have done things a bit better and maybe there's even an argue there's even an argument that like you know maybe the sci-fi story doesn't even have to be in it at all yeah like there's there's a good conversation for that as well but i think ultimately the final product gives this informal trilogy a much needed endpoint in a satisfying way yeah. And satisfying in relative to the other two films, because, again, by the time you get to this film, if you're really expecting it to be like, you know, an out of pocket, completely different happy ending, then that's just something that you want that unfortunately Wong Kar Wai does not yeah. in a standard sense. But 
I mean, all I'm really trying to say is I'm glad this film ends with a teaser that, you know, the couple from In the Mood for Love is going to meet up with the couple from before. So that's that's just really cool. Yeah. And it's just going to be called Before Mood of Love. There's there's nothing. There's no yeah. articles. It's just yeah. going to. They're going to. It's Before Dusk is going to be. It's going to be the fourth film in the Before trilogy. Oops. But instead of Ethan Hawke <laughs> and Julie Delpy, it's going to be Maggie Chung and Tony Leung. Yeah. And they're not going to dress. With uh, Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy in bit roles. <laughs> And the next, the next Wong Kar Wai film was 204, 2048. 2048, And it's yeah. with Ethan Hawke and Julie <laughs> Delphi. They just switched and their leads. And then they'll do their big crossover film where it's like an orgy. <laughs> yeah. Where they'll co-direct. <laughs> Linklater and Wong will co-direct the orgy film. The before G film. I don't know. <laughs> the 4G film. And with that note... That is Wong Kar Wai's <laughs> love trilogy. Yeah. Uh, it's happy a, Valentine's happy Day. Happy Valentine's Day. It's again, it's if you're looking for something a little bit different in terms of your romance, but you're like, not like films and you yeah. just want something that is, you know, you've wanted to watch for a bit and you haven't really taken the plunge, I would recommend all three of these films. Yeah. Especially once. And if uh, you're kind of yeah. iffy if you're iffy on some of those by the end of it, it at least in the mood for love. I think. Yeah. I mean, Emma and I watched In the Mood for Love together, and she enjoyed it as well. I think it was a fun kind of journey to go through together, like like with somebody, and be like, "Oh, what are you picking up the same things from yeah. them that I'm picking up?" You know, things you, like you that. Probably, that was a fun experience. You probably have the feeling of God if I had just watched this after my if I just had watched this after my engagement instead of decision to leave maybe it would have <laughs> yeah maybe it would have been a higher note than maybe, like the decision yeah. to leave threw me off <laughs> yeah god oh gosh but yeah that is Juan Carwise love trilogy happy valentine's day everyone i mean by the time this comes out uh the true valentine's day gift to all of us madam webb will be the you know what really everyone has for valentine's <laughs> right. day we'll be busy yes. watching that i mean yeah twice oh don't worry Dakota johnson guess, assures yeah us. they they say valentine's day is just for the gals well guess <laughs> what guys are going to madam webb yep. on tuesday night because i assume <laughs> that's when that's going to be early screenings of that something like that uh but yeah our next trilogy is going to be something a little bit different it's actually something that we have a f- we wanted to do with a bunch of other stuff, especially with directors, that it's yeah. not, it's not an, an, an it's not an official like rise of insert director's name here, but it kind of has that same energy in terms of what we're talking about their style, yeah, their kind of feeling. It's what we are going to be calling a sampler. Yeah, last year we did the the Cohen McDormand sampler. Oh, that's what we called um, it. That's right. I which forgot. Was, you know, just not every film that those people collaborated on, but. A, a kind of quintessential smattering trio, yeah. trio that, that kind of captures the power of that working relationship. And yes, we've got a new sampler. So this sampler is going to be a lot of fun. We wanted to add something kind of in the middle that is just going to be, you know, has ties to nothing that's going on right now, but it has three films that are beloved in their own ways that we, I mean, at least we yeah. love two of these films, or at least one of them. Have you seen all these films on this list no you haven't seen the first one no but yeah logan shut the fuck up just say what (laughs) the films are you're right audience so those films are 1987's lethal weapon night 2005 2005's kiss kiss bang bang and 2016's the nice guys our next trilogy is going to be shane black's buddy cop sampler yes right three phenomenal films written by or written and directed yes yeah so so shane black 
started uh, as a as a writer and and mm-hmm. then became a director later on in his career but yeah he he's kind of the name associated with like buddy cop like buddy yes. action movies uh obviously his hand in lethal weapon hugely um, influential on action mm-hmm. movies moving forward and, and then to clarify before i forget i said all three are directed by shane black the only one not is lethal weapon because yes, that is popularly richard donner but yes. he did write it but Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and The Nice Guys are both written and directed by him. Yeah. And yeah, there's a there's a bunch of Shane Black films that are between Lethal Weapon and The Nice Guys that he is tied to but aren't entirely directing. Yeah, um, and but so we just, we just thought it was kind of an interesting... Because Lethal Weapon is kind of the start of that yes. buddy genre journey for him. Absolutely. And so it's like, yeah, he didn't direct it, but he is a huge reason for that movie having the the language and the iconography that it does um and then nice guy or kiss kiss bang bang and nice guys are kind of two uh, yeah uh, auteuristic uh follow-ups from him in that same genre to a degree is watching the kind of the start of the popularity of the buddy cop film with lethal weapon before it has uh 78 sequels (laughs) and then you see kind of shane's version of it in the 2000s and then you see a version of it in the most recently in the late 2010s yeah and just kind of thought this was a perfect sampler because all three of these films readily available one of these is fucking one of the biggest 80s films of all time so you know that's gonna be a lot of fun to talk about that as well as you know the other two films in my opinion are very beloved in my heart i love kiss kiss bang bang and the nice guys, yeah. And you know, I also live lethal weapon. So I guess in my mind, it is a, this is just a fun trio that really captures Shane Black in a buddy cop sense. Yeah. I think it's gonna be a lot of fun. And this yeah. is this is an Andy creation, and I'm glad he did it. And I'm not saying that because of this is a, next episode is bad. It's on you because I don't think it could be I'll bad. Take it. No, because there's there's a lot to talk about because the buddy cop genre, especially in a Shane Black eye, changes incredibly. In the oh, near yeah. 30 years uh, span of these three films. Right. So, tune in on, oh my gosh, the day. I had the, the day. The 24th? Is it the 24th? Is this, yeah. I mean, yeah, I know 24th. We re- yeah, I know we record live, but Four, I got to make sure. Yeah. yeah. Tune in on the 24th when we tackle Shane Black's Buddy Cop Sampler. But until then, I'm Logan Sowash. And I'm Andy Carr. Thank you so much for listening. Bye.